Welcome to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. Beyond the Pulpit is a podcast that shows Andy Thompson in a different light. He talks with different guests every week about how he overcame real-life challenges all of us can relate to. If you want to support the Beyond the Pulpit podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com podcast for more information. A lot of the marriage is at all, at an, divorce at an all-time high because they think that when we make marriage even more of a partnership than it is a, this is your role, this is my role. You know, it, it, there was a time when if you were committing to marriage to a certain extent, you were committing to this idea of marriage and, it, and at this idea of a role. And it wasn't just you. It was your whole town. All the men defended the gate. All of the men had to learn how to fight. All of the men had to learn. So even a part of what made it work was that it wasn't just you deciding what it meant to you as an individual. It was about what does it mean to our society? So even when a woman was getting into a relationship with a guy, she wasn't necessarily totally rolling the dice because she could see his father and her brothers and 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 the men in the town because the idea of a relationship was a bit more defined from without now it's all defined from within yeah i know but andy what what you're describing is an antiquated system and i think that we're still taking these antiquated systems of the way that it used to be and we're applying it now and this is i believe one of the reasons why we are failing miserably at marriages because you have this antiquated system, which is really based on white supremacy when you really think about it, like the evangelical idea of the male role and the women role, because we as Africans of the diaspora, we understand that every relationship is unique and special and that you can't impose what works for your household onto someone else's household. So the, the roles are, we're a team. And just like you, I think we need to start describing marriage the way that, that boys understand teamwork, when they understand football or the way they understand basketball, is that when we all, we, you can make an assist and you're still going to get points even though you didn't make the basket. And so when we start to educate and grow our, our young people to understand that we are a team and that we work together and that, hey, if we decide in our team that what's best for us is that you have the earning potential so you go out and you have the job and I'm going to come home and th- this is how we're going to approach family. This is how we're going to raise the children. You're going to stay home. Or there may be a situation where the work, the wife has the more earning potential and the guy decides, you know what, for these three years or four years until the children go to school, I'm going to stay home. Okay. I may not, I don't have that nurturing aspect, but you as my teammate, let me learn from you. You teach me how to do, and I honor what you have and your strengths and your and what you bring to the table. I'm going to take that. I mean, think about it. Scottie Pippen was Scottie Pippen because he played with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan made him a better player because they trusted each other. So when we stop, do away with these antiquated systems of, oh, this is the man, he's the, you know, this is your role and you got to do this and then begin to see one another as teammates, then I think we all win. We all come out better. 
boys and girls. Yeah, I mean, I I hear that. <laughs> I, 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 I hear that. I mean, I just think that. I mean, I I think that a part of the issue too, though, is that women. It's almost like a double standard. It's like they want traditional values in the guy while they get to be not necessarily traditional. That's not necessarily that, true. You're, yes, you're, it is. Yes, it is. yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I beg to differ. There, it's like they want a guy to marry them. They want a guy to be this husband. They want a guy to be this earner. They want a guy to be this provider. When you ask the average woman, oh, well, if you're making money, but even like the women that I talk to, I talk to men all the time. I have conversations with men all the time. And I also have conversations with the women in my congregation who are queens. The women in my congregation who are balling, the women in my congregation who have MBAs and have their own businesses and they're single. And when they talk about dating, they talk about a dude who makes more money than them. And I'm like, there's this one particular young woman who I'm, I'm trying to help because it's like in her mind, she's like, she's dating. She has a dude who's very interested in her, who thinks she is Jesus Christ. Okay. But a part of her hesitancy with him is, she doesn't quite see him making as much money as she does. So there's a something on the inside of her that has this fear of, I don't want to have to take care of a man. I can do battle by myself. I don't want to have to be in this. Wait, 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 wait. I don't want to have to be in this role. And I don't want. So I'm, I'm like, oh, so you want to have an MBA. You want to have your own business. You want to make all this money. But then you want a man who's going to make more money than you. Why can't you have a dude who is a good, no joke, serious, blue collar, hardworking, truck driving, got a good job, dude. Why does he have to make more money than you? Why does he have to be able to support you and your two and your kids from your previous marriage? Why does it have to be the case? There are women who it's like they want their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to make money and then not bring that money home. They almost okay. want to be like, oh, well, okay. I'm making money, but I'm not paying the mortgage. Okay. You're talking this idyllic, Wonderful world where oh, oh no, no, no. we're no, no, just no, a no, team. No, no, and no, no, no. Women just want all all of us work no, together. No, 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 no. But no, then no, no. you have conversations with serious women. They want to make money and keep their money. They don't even want to bring it to the table. Me, and then me, the, but the dude is still you. supposed to you. carry the mortgage, okay, right? Said, let me answer you. Let me answer. And be in charge and hold you down and hug you and love you, and then women are making six figures, and they want somebody who make more money than them. It's just like, I mean, it sounds nice, but at the end of the day, it's a double standard. Well, but, but, but the same can be true or can be said on the flip side. And I think that if you talk to women, whoever it is that you've spoken to, and a lot of times it's easier to just be like, you know, I want somebody who makes as much as me or more than me. It's easy, that's a surfacey thing. But when you really break it down and what you really, if you really get to the heart of the matter, which takes a, a moment to get to women because to get to, because women are not just like they, they hold that stuff dear to them. What they really, in essence, would, I think, answer is that it has really nothing to do with the amount of money as it is whether or not there is a partnership. 
between the two of you? Because I'm sure that you have people that you pastor, that you mentor, that are, there are women that make, that have MBAs or, or what have you, and they are married to blue collar workers. And that partnership, it works for them because the guy who is the blue collar worker is not trying to control and is not trying to dictate you know, who knows how to be the man, who knows how to respect her, respect her earning, respecting, respect what she does. And they work it out as a partnership. And that's what I think women in truly want. A lot of times when you meet a woman or a guy as a woman and he doesn't make as much as you, sometimes what ends up happening with that is that you have to deal with the fact that he feels inadequate or he feels less than, or he feels inferior. And he feels like because you can afford, because men are providers and men bring security. So it makes them feel like there's something wrong with them because they are not quote unquote, as opposed to men being whole and being secure within themselves and what they bring and who they are and being able to support a woman. If you got that, I don't care how much you make. I'm down with you. If you're down for me, I'm down for you. But don't look at me and be like, you know, I don't care. You know, what? Uh, you're out there and you're running around and you're making all this. We ain't got no toothpaste. Why you ain't buying the toothpaste? And you're like, dude, you've been home all day. You couldn't go to the store and buy the toothpaste? You're waiting for me to get home from work and then from work stop at the grocery store and buy the toothpaste for the house? Come on. Are we on a team here? Can I get an assist? You know, I'm already, I'm, I'm bringing, I know that I have the gifting. I know that for whatever reason, I have had the affordability to be able to make and to be able to provide and all of that. So come on, can we just be partners? That's really the crux of the matter. It's less about the money as it is really about the depth of the relationship that you have with that person, guy or girl. No, and I'm and listen, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm always encouraging men that are on here to be like, yo, feel yourself. It ain't about the money. It's not about who makes all the money. And it is lame for you to be intimidated by a woman that makes more money than you. That's ridiculous. If you know who you are, if you're secure in yourself. I mean, yeah, last week, Manny and I said, yeah, men are about what they bring to the table. But if you know you work hard and you know you're doing your best and you're not comparing yourself to anybody else, you're comparing yourself to you doing your best and getting your best work done, then you can be confident in that. And you shouldn't be intimidated by a woman who's more educated than you or makes more money than you. That's weak tea, dude, in no uncertain terms. And I think men do need to feel themselves. And I think men get that sense of feeling from each other. They get that sense of feeling from family. They get that sense of feeling from property. They get that sense of feeling from feeling that they are accomplishing something and they are doing their good work and in, uh, in agreement with well, what you're saying. They just want a man who's going to hustle as, as much as she is. That's all. Yeah, but, they, but, but Teresa, just but, like if, us. but Teresa, in a moment of anger or frustration, they can't ever say nothing like, I make I make more money than you. They can't say nothing like that to a dude. Well, no, I think that that's wrong. I think that that's absolutely wrong because I don't think you should be with anybody who you would ever have to say and have to take your money and put your money on the table. I don't think that you should even be with somebody like that because then that's showing to me that there is a, a chink in your relationship that is dysfunctional, period. So, right. But there are definitely women who it's kind of like they want to swing with that and it's like, they want, they want to come with that energy, and it's, again, it's almost like they're the alpha male, 
And they're but not. But, but this is back to my point of the swinging of the pendulum because men have used money and they have used that to be the controlling thing. So for generation after generation, women have felt like, well, I, I have nowhere else to go. I'm stuck. So because I'm stuck and I can't make as much as him and he holds all the cards and he holds all the power, then it puts us in a place where we're not as free as we need to be and to make the choices that we need to make. So I think that that's where that comes from, where a woman is just like, I'm going to make my own. Ain't nobody going to be able to tell me what to do with my check. Ain't nobody going to be able to, you know, to dictate to me. <laughs> well, can I get my nails done this week? Well, no, you can't get your nails done this week. You got to wait till next week. What, when you make your own money, you ain't got to work. When your nails need to be done, you go get your nails done. Like somebody who's holding the money as control, that's where all of that comes from. It's, it's dysfunctional. I'm not saying that's not dysfunctional, but there's a reason that, that it comes from that because of feeling like for such a long time, you, you got to take your money and your money goes into a pot where you don't have equal decision-making power as to what to do with that. No, I mean, I think I think agreement is the place of power. Gotcha. Okay, I mean, we only talk about submission. It only happens when we don't agree. If you've got good communication, you really are talking with each other. You do want to agree with each other, okay? But I'm just saying that, like someone in the comments on Instagram, and you can comment, we appreciate it. You know, I'm looking at it a little bit. You know, like PA, you're talking about immature women. But unfortunately, there's a lot of immature women. And there's a there's a lot... Even, you know, the, you know, the dreaded, oh, of course. But when we say immature women, of course we can say immature men and everybody's okay with that notion. But when we say immature women, it's almost like even how much anger there was at Kevin Samuels, there was more anger at Kevin Samuels than there really was at the women who were on the show with him who were just spouting thoughts that were totally immature and totally unrealistic. No one ever wants to take women to task like that. No one ever wants to talk about that. We always want to just focus on the men. And I get that. But what I'm saying is that we, we do have to be careful because as we move forward, because even when we talk about what we saw growing up, like let's take you and me, like what we saw growing up, you know, we were raised in a home where our parents were married. They still are, okay? And really our parents felt a little bit more now they're boomers but they definitely felt a little bit more in the more traditional nuclear family you know where dad went and worked and we saw dad drive I talked about that I think last week that I I used to like to drive the bumper cars remember we'd go bumper cars and I like to drive the bumper cars of course Matt's gonna try to crash into me I didn't I mean, the point of bumper cars is to crash, but I didn't want to crash. I wanted to drive with my left hand, put my right hand on the side. Like, it was what I grew up seeing, you know, and kind of that traditional roles. And even when I think about who I was as a teenager, um, when I got into conversations with young women who talked about their educational dreams or considerations, I just, I was very like, Oh, no, my wife will never work, you know, like because of what I had seen. Now, I'm not saying I'm there now, but I think that a part of the argument that I was making a little bit, and I think that you're right. I think that there these conversations need to be had and there does need to be continued redefinition. 
But I'm just saying that the ripple effect is going to be that things may be a little worse before they get better. Right now, we're in a little bit of the worse. We're in a bit of the hard place where women are still trying to figure out what they can say and what they can't say. And they're, 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 they're coming with their energy. They're earning. They're making money. They're going to school. They're getting their stuff together. And some of the result of that, as much as you're right, it is that there were some traditional roles that were put on us by the out by outside, but kind of, this is where we were. And now this redefinition is causing a lot of chaos and a lot of breakups and a lot of bumping heads and a lot of issues. It's and a lot of difficulty. Like there are, I talked, like I said, I talk to men all the time. There are young men around me right now who they, they have women that are educated, but the guys are still making the money. And, and the, and the, there are women who are in positions where they're not making the money. They're not bringing to the table what the guy is bringing to the table, but they don't want to necessarily partner with the dude in that way. They're resistant against the traditional gender role, even though that's the situation they're in. They're in the situation where they're not really making a lot of money. They're in a situation where they're not paying any other bills, but then they don't want to necessarily be bound within the roles of cooking or cleaning or going to get the toothpaste because that's not what's popular right now. So the next thing you know, they're popping off saying stuff like, well, I only want to have one child. And then the guy's like, well, who said anything about having one child? I mean, I married you, so I want to have kids. Why are we talking about you? Why are we talking about just what you want? Why are we talking about how this is going to affect your life? Especially considering the fact that we're in this house that I bought, that I paid for. You have a degree, but it don't make no money. So it's kind of like right now, it's, I said, wait, 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 wait. I'll say this. I'll let you talk. I said last week, a part of the challenge for the African-American community is 75% of our community, the women don't have men. So we got 1,000 women. The 1,000 the, the women are being educated for the 750, not the 250. Okay? So the 250 are the ones with men. But they're being educated, the thousand is being educated for the 750 that don't have men. And in other, in other uh, cultures, it's not like this. So if you look, take a look at, at Hispanic women, of those thousand women, the 750 have men and the 250 don't. So the thousand are being educated for the 750, not the 250. So now you've got women in the 250 in the black culture, in African-American culture, you got women in the 250 with a 750 attitude. Whereas, and so now there's tension. And so now a dude is in a situation where he's got a chick. She's in the 250. She's in the 25 percentile because 75 percent of African-American women aren't married. She's in the 25 percentile and she has an attitude like she's in the 75 and all her friends are in the 75. And so there's tension and so just as much as men need to continue to be encouraged 
I think two women need to be encouraged as well to be mature enough to ex- to accept their part of the team if they find themselves to be Pippin. Women are all about being Jordan, but they don't necessarily want to be Pippin now, especially within the African American culture. Now you're saying, "Ooh, yeah," but dude, what if you find yourself as Pippin? And the girls, Jordan. Yeah, we hear that all the time. But right now, African-American women are being told to be Jordan. And what? And that's fine if you're Jordan. But if you find yourself Pippin, then be Pippin. But they can't be Pippin because the rest of their peer group is Jordan. And the next thing you know, they end up on their own team by themselves. Because if I'm Jordan and you're Pippin, then... You pass the ball to me. So, like, as we continue to redefine this, we have to talk about this on both sides because there's a ditch on either side of the road. And just like there's toxic masculinity, there's toxic femininity now. And so where women are being almost encouraged, like, yeah, don't you take that. And don't you, don't you do. And so it's like it, we have to talk about that as well. Okay. So you said a mouthful. A lot of it, I understand your perspective. I do. I hear you. But I think that what's happening is that if you don't take a, a holistic perspective, then you get caught up in the weeds with the statistics and all of that. There's no group. I don't care what group you name, whether you said you, you mentioned the Hispanic women, you mentioned whatever. There's no other group of people like the African-American people and our experience in this country that has systematically for centuries continuously ripped apart our families and continuously used racism to make sure that the black family has never, ever been intact from slavery until now. So when you're talking about how there's only 250 black women and there's 750 that don't, you're, you, 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 you're forgetting about the 13th Amendment. You're forgetting about the reasons as to why not only have black men been taken out, but, but they have been systematically portrayed in a stereotypical way in which they have bought into this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a piece of meat. So I can have a woman here, I can have a woman there, I can have a family here, I can Rolling Stone. I mean, this is the mentality that has been so post-traumatic slave disorder is a real thing. And so a lot of times when women, they are, they are responding out of a traumatic place because of what they've seen in their mothers or their grandmothers or their great-grandmothers where they have been told, you know, you better get your own, you better take care of you because, you know, he may not. And then they may have had experiences with previous relationships where guys have shown them something and then they take that and they put that blanket statement on all men. Now, for me, it was very difficult for me to do that because I grew up in a household with a father who was committed to a mother who's still committed to his mother, they, to my mother. They've been married for 55 years. I have five brothers who have been strong black men who have loved their children, loved their wives, been great family men. So it's very hard for me to be like, oh, all, you know, all guys ain't this and they all that. I can't say that because that has not been my experience. So 
I have a different perspective where I know that there are some, I mean, I've seen, I've seen, um, situations that have quote unquote happened in families, but I'm seeing it from the male perspective because the male perspective is, has been, happened to be one of my brothers. So I get the both sides of it. And I think that if we don't start talking about that and start to address and, and start to give therapy, serious therapy to men and women, I don't know why those women would stand up and have to fight for themselves. Maybe that husband is not making them feel secure in an area. Maybe he's lording over the fact that he bought the house and that's his and his property. He, she's not making enough money. I don't know. I don't know the complexities of it all. But I know that if I was to sit down and to counsel that particular couple, I would be getting to the crux of what it is that she feels like she has to stand up against. Because when you have a true partnership, see, I don't even like that the word submission. Because really, when you look up that word submission... And it's in, in the original, what it originally means, it means to be fully devoted. So men and women are supposed to be fully devoted to one another. And then when you are fully devoted, you have no problem. If I'm fully devoted to you as a man, then what you say in your opinion is going to matter to me. And I'm going to be like, you know what? Hey, let's go that way. And if he's fully devoted to me, if we're talking about a situation and what I say in my perspective makes sense for the two of us, then he's going to be like, you know, yeah, we'll go with that because we're fully devoted to each other. We know that the only thing that's going to come out of our mouths are going to be the things that are going to build each other up, be there for one another, support one another, fight for each other, be to this biggest cheerleader. So submission is not an issue because we're fully devoted to one another. And that's the crux. I think that's the problem is that we just, we have all this mistrust and a huge part of it has to do with the trauma that we've experienced as Africans in this country. And I think it just continues to perpetuate. So I agree with you that, that if you have a husband who is making more money and he's bringing it, then there needs to be allowances and we need to sit down at the table and we need to be like, yo, let's, let's, let's look this over. So you feel, you feel okay. And then I feel okay. Where can I bend? Where can you bend? Where, where, where can you, all right, can, can this be a compromise that we can make with one another? And when you have that, then you have what you just said, unity. You have agreement. That's the place of power. And the problem is that because we're still standing on our sides, like, well, you aren't this and you aren't that. And the other side is like, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. This is the reason why we continue to fail. And I think that this is a good, it's a reason why you and I can have this conversation. And I love the point you just made. And that is that if you have sisters or daughters, then your, your perspective about women being respected or, or empowered, it has to grow. I mean, it has to. And the same is true as if, if you have brothers or if you have your father or, you know, if you have a relationship with your father, then there's a chance. This is one of the things I say to young men in particular who's maybe they didn't really grow up with their father. There's almost a tendency to side with your mother because you're the boy. You know, it's like that opposite sex parent has that special relationship. So it's fathers and their daughters, mothers and their sons. So it's like you have a son who's, you know, the parents are together. And now the man, like he's mad at the, his father because he wasn't there. And I've said to those dudes, yo, why don't you have a conversation with your father and ask him what happened? Because you don't know what you're, she might've been a great mom, but a bad partner. You don't really know what happened. And I think that when men, when we abdicate our roles 
when we don't fight for our children. And, you know, I was reading an article that was talking about one of the fastest growing sing, uh, single parent groups now is African-American men, like 30 yes. percent, because there are men who are just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to raise my children. Yeah. And and you know what? Me and me and, you know, Chris have kind of discussed this and argued about this, Teresa, like where would the African-American community be if you gave the kid to his father, to her father? If if there would we have the 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 pandemic or the I don't want to say pandemic, would we have this this whole single mama situation? Men might be more way more careful and way more if they got their seed. You know, it, if they wanted their seed, that's the problem. A lot of times, right? But happens. I'm not just saying just wanted. I'm saying right now, what happens is, yeah, all right. Well, then you, the woman, is the one who's got the kid. But you know, but this there is a growing number of men who are like, yes, single father, got it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to raise my children, and I think men fighting for that, men not being afraid to go to the court system, men. Not being afraid to say, hey, I want 50-50 custody. Not should. being afraid. It's something that should happen because there is a balance that we bring to each other. Most definitely. And you know, and I know it's hard, almost impossible for women to give up their children. I, You're right. So it's, it's one of the comments. Well, it's hard for women. I'm not asking No, it is. It totally is because you have a bond. But you still right. can... If you and the partner are not together, you can still honor that that is their father and that he has, and as long as he's not abdicating his responsibility and the kid is not, you know, running rampant and everybody else is raising him except for him. Because, you know, a lot of times that's what, what, what ends up happening is that, you know, I've talked to certain ones of my friends who, you know, have children with men and it's like the weekend that their child is supposed to be going to spend with their dad. He just drops the child off at his mother's house. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, you're supposed to be taking care and having time with your child but if you abdicate it, so I, I totally agree. I think that it's, it is hard for women, um, especially in those formative years, to give up their child and not to have their child around. But, you know, if you're not with a father and that, that just happens to be your situation, then you're going to have to make a, a, a allowances for that. And you need to make sure that your child has their time with their dad and that their dad gets to see them you know, more than just a holiday or, or whatever. It should be that you fight to allow your children and make sure everything in your power and that you don't take the relationship because they, that person was a bad partner, then that means that that, that equals that they're going to be a bad parent because that's not always the case. And so, yeah, I'm a strong advocate of that, huge advocate of that, big yeah, time. Yeah, because, Teresa, you know, there are men who end up being victimized it's almost like women are using the children. It's almost like, well, if you don't choose me, then you, I know you care about the kids and you don't care about me anymore. And we, I mean, we've, we've seen that even in our own family, you know, one of our siblings who, I mean, she just was, his ex-wife was just determined to take his children from him. And he's an amazing father, but it's just kind of like sometimes women almost lump it together and, and will kind of, uh, you know, try to all of a sudden attack and, and lie and all kinds of stuff. It's the you know worst what I'm saying? thing to ever. It's the worst to thing. Try to t 
you know, as bad as it is for men to just abandon their children, it's really a tough thing, too, when there are women who decide, well, if you don't choose me, then you don't get to see your kid as much as you want to see. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And not only that, but take it to a next, uh, uh, the next step even further that you really have to ask that the spirit will help you to guard your mouth so that even when you're around them, that you don't even say negative things about that person in front of them. Like I determined that when, when I got a divorce, I mean, I've been divorced now. I've been separated for seven years, divorced for six years. And I determined, you know, when, when, when we separated, um, our kids were, were 15, almost 15 and almost 17. And I determined that I was not going to say a negative thing about their dad in front of them. And that any time that they wanted to see their father and any time that they wanted to spend with him, that I would do everything within my power to make sure that they got to see their dad because that's their father. And he deserves just because we didn't work out and just because we're not together anymore. That does not mean that I get to take out that frustration or that disappointment or whatever emotions that I feel on the fact that that's still their dad and that he deserves to have whatever time he wants with them and whatever time that they want with him, they should be able to have with them. That's crazy that a woman would do that and, and use their own personal uh, vendettas or, and use children as pawns. I mean, it, and vice versa flip, on the flip side, you know, even guys yeah. that do that as well, who say, yeah. you know, because you don't want to be with me now, you know, I'm, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving the kid and they're not there for their child and their responsibility. So, right. And then they'll get with another woman who has children and do more for this other woman with her children. And they're not even yours. And you've abandoned your own children. I'm always saying it to men, no fight for your seed. No fight to have a connection with your children. Don't ever give up fight to the death. Keep going to court. Keep going. I, and one of the things that's amazing to me is I've had conversations because I talk to guys. I really do talk to men. 40, you know, 48% of my church is men. Most of the, most of my YouTube uh, group is men. My group, my, the higher number. And I've talked, I've had conversations with men who they remarry or they meet someone new. They, they get a woman, a really great woman like you. And one of the things that woman does is helps them to get reestablished with their children. Right. I mean, I was just talking to a guy the other day and he was like, oh, he was talking about his, you know, his new girl. And he was just saying how, oh man. And then, oh man, she got in there and helped me with the courts. And man, I hadn't seen my own kid for seven years. And she got in there and I got a chance to see my kid. And there was a part of me that was like, wow, man, your girl's the bomb. That's dope. And then there was a part of me that was like, yo, dude, what's wrong with you? Right. Why why didn't you you, Why didn't you fight? Why didn't you get a lawyer? Why did you? And I think some of that is that African-American men, we are afraid of the system. We scared to walk into the police station. We're afraid we're going, you know, we're, we're afraid we're going to match a description. Oh, we're yeah. afraid I, we're going to be asked to be in the lineup. Oh, my God. I was just having a conversation with a guy a couple. This was about maybe about a month ago. And he was telling me how he filed a restraining order and how when he went into the courts, of course, they naturally assumed that he was the perpetrator that the and he was like no 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 i'm fine i'm filing this because because i want to be protected and i want to make sure that i'm gonna have my connection with my kids so i get it i i see both sides you know and i and i and i understand that sometimes relationships they they become the the 
the toxic thing that that unfortunately affects the child and it affects them growing up. I mean, I was ministering to a young lady the other day and I, she, she doesn't want, she didn't want to have anything to do with her father because of course he wasn't there and he didn't this and he didn't that. And he reached out to her and he wrote her something on Facebook and, uh, she was like, I'm not going to even read it. And I was like, well, do you mind if I read it? And when I read it, when I read his words, I like, I started getting teary because I started feeling for him because in his defense, he was like, I tried this, I tried that, I, you know, but because your mom and I, you know, and the a relationship between them where it's like, he's just like, okay, I guess that. And his hope was that when you get old enough and you can decide for yourself, you'll know that I wanted to have a relationship with you. But now she's of that age, but because he didn't quote unquote from her perspective fight, now she's older, like see, and he didn't even, and he didn't even. And I said to her, you know, in my counseling session, I'm like, listen, I need you to get there. I'm not saying you got to be there tomorrow, but don't erase this message. Whatever you do, I, I know you're angry and, you know, I'm trying to help her to work on forgiving and understanding. I'm like, but at some point you need to read this because he has a perspective. He has a side that you may not have heard because you're, all you heard was your mom's. And sometimes us as women, our perspective can be skewed. It's not always fact. It's not always that way. And so we have to allow for that. You know, sometimes when we're in our broken place, when you look back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You're like, man, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. And so it, it's, it's affecting the next generation if we don't get this together right now, whether we stay together or not. That's, that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is that making sure that the next generation get as much health as they possibly can. They need to see us going to therapy they need to see us taking care of our trauma, our childhood traumas. They need to see us having good relationships with our parents. They got to see it or, or they're not going to be able to have it. Yeah, I think that's another thing that you, that was interesting that you and I got to talking about on our little birthday. You know, you being with me on my birthday and we having a great time and turning it up. It was so fun, by the way. It was, it was a ball. But I think, you know, we also started talking about how and I've said this from the pulpit and I've said it on, on this show beyond the pulpit that a lot of times we're answering our own childhood traumas in our future relationships, Yep. you know? And so there's things that like, even when I look at my sons, my children, like I've had some conversations with my adults, you know, my children are all adults now mm -hmm. and I've had to have some conversations with my adult sons and I had to apologize to some to my sons because there were things that I didn't let them do because I was I was trying to give them what I wish I had had. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. now I've raised them, not necessarily even for what's best for them, but what was about me. Yeah. And I'm bringing my childhood trauma. You know, here you and I, we're the oldest of eight kids, right? So there's six kids after us. You and I, we were kind of de facto second parents in this house, okay? You and I washed the dishes. You and I, we had to watch kids. You and I were yeah. responsible for the, younger, for the younger ones. I was saying to someone that I don't have any recollection of not being responsible ever. No. You know, when mom had Phil and Matt was two, you know, and I was six, Matt became my responsibility. Mom was sick. 
You know, and so it's like, and then you and me, it's like we were, there were times when mom and dad went out and we were in charge. We weren't, we didn't get paid to babysit. And so it's like, and we did the heavy lifting. We really did. And, and just kind of how that affected us, even with our own children. Like we didn't have as many kids. It's so funny how, when I look at our siblings, the younger ones have a lot of kids you know, Joey has all these kids. Mike has all these kids. You and I, you know, you have two kids. I had triplets, right? but two would have been great for, you know, yes. that's two pregnant. It's almost kind of like, yes. because we had had our kids, you know, in a way. And I just think that, you know, I, I know that I carried a lot of, a lot of that stuff forward and it affected how I raised my children um, and like one of my sons said to me, yeah, dad, you know, I wish you had let me get a job working at Kentucky fried chicken. Right. He, he said to me, because now when I go to apply for a job, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I wish I had been able to do that when I was 14. But yeah. the reason why I, I didn't let him do that was because I, you and I, we working since we was 10. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. everything we ever had, we had to buy. Yeah. You know, I'm, if we had any extra money, it was because we worked. And so I was like, I'm not going to have my kids be that way. You know what I'm saying? And it's just amazing how we bring these things forward. And then we kind of, we raise our children based on our own. I can't tell you how many people are like gently parenting because they were parented a little too hard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they were spanked on the edge of abuse. Mm -hmm. And so now their child is out of control right. <laughs> because they're not even giving that child what that child needs. Right. They're, they're parenting that child based on, on, on something that happened in their own childhood. And I think that this is another thing that affects all of this. You know what I'm no, saying? I agree. I agree. I think one of the things you remember, I, I had, I said this little phrase this weekend when we were together, um, that most people parent from their past and not from a class. Yeah. And it's so true. You take all of that childhood trauma. It's like every other, you, you, in order to learn how to drive a car, in order to learn how, I mean, everything you have to take a class for, you have to learn how to do it. You can't just go and have no, open somebody up and <laughs> take out a lump. You, you right. have the schooling that is required for that. And unfortunately, because, and, and so many of us were raised I, I, dysfunctionally, just that, that's just the plain out God's the honest truth. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, the, just the history of what we've come from and not, not knowing and, and learning, like we learned violence because of violence is right. nobody as, as who beats their kids. Like. African Americans beat their kids. I mean, I've seen some horror stories. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you just wailing on your kids like that? And it's like, we've seen it and it was done to us. And it's like, we think that we're better because we didn't do it as badly as them. And really what it is, it goes back to that whole thing, that post-traumatic slave disorder. I mean, it's, it's, ser it's a serious thing. And I think that we have, there's some things that we're going to have to learn how to relearn. 
and we're going to have to rewind our brain and uncover that kind of stuff. And I think therapy, I can't say it more more times than not, that therapy really helps you to really dive into like what are those childhood issues like for like for us, you know, because we grew up so tough and we grew up having to take care of everyone else. It's like here we are now in our 50s and we're looking around like, OK, whoo, like that is it's like it's starting to become it's starting to feel like a weight. It's starting to feel like a burden sometimes like, OK, I, when do I have the opportunity to not have to always make sure that everybody else is OK? But I don't have to do that. The only reason why I'm doing it is because it's a part of my childhood trauma of the way I was raised. It's cooking full meals when I was nine years old. So I don't know, like I, I, I have to relearn who I am to, to bring happiness to myself so that my kids see that so that they learn, they learn that, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, it just starts so early. It's just set in us so early, but you know, it's like even right now on this, having this conversation with you. It's like in all that you are, all that you've accomplished, all that you've done, all that's on your shoulders, you're still my little sister. That's in, in my mind, you're my little sister, you know? And when everything went down with your divorce, like I was straight up, a, like somebody was about to get that. Yes. Like, whoops. Like I came up there like, yo, bro. Like, it's just. It's, I mean, I remember just how emotional, like if I think about it now, I get emotional. Like, yo, that's my, because of how strictly I was raised to protect my, my little sisters and, and how I was always protecting you. And it's just, it's hard to break out of it. It's hard to get, it's hard. You're right. Like there's so much that we carry just as a result of what we were taught to do. And I think that, you know, there's a ditch on either side of the road. I, if I say that once, I'll say it a thousand times on this show beyond the pulpit. Because I think, you know, someone commented a little while ago, like they were beat on the edge of abuse. So they want to be lenient with their children because they were beat too much. Right. And I'm like, I hear that. But then someone else commented and said, yeah, but each child is different, which is absolutely true. Because right. Teresa, you and I were disciplined differently than our brother Matthew was. And then Phil... Phil was really quiet and April no, he was like got he and April was like an angel. You know what I'm saying? But then but then Joe got Joe got a lot of spankings. But the thing about it is that Matthew and Joe, who got a lot of spankings, Matthew and Joey are two of the most responsible adults ever in our family. There's anybody I trust. Right now, it's Joey, <laughs> and and Matt, and if there's anybody that's disciplined that does the hard thing, Matt gets up in the morning every day and prays. It's like just because they were mischievous or busy or required a lot of discipline when they were children, you can't raise everybody the same, and and you have to give your child what they need based on their need, you know. And I was saying to you that. You know, there's a preacher that I that I know, a young guy. He's got it going on, Mike McClure Jr., and uh, got a poppin' church in Alabama. And um, shout out. And you know, I was watching a clip of his in from one of his sermons where he was saying he was talking about an egg, and he was saying that if an egg cracks from within, it's life, and if an egg cracks from without, it's death. So if you see a little egg under a chicken and you crack it, you'll kill that little chicken there. The only way for there to be life is for that cracking to come from within. 
Okay, you can't crack an egg from from the outside. It needs to be cracked from within. And I think that the same is true of parents. Like you have to be okay with giving your child discipline if that's what they need. It has to come from within inside you because if you're conflicted about it, that kid will know that. Right. They'll know it. And and being firm with your child doesn't start when they're two or three or four. It starts when they're six months. It starts when they're when they when their will is popping, when they start bucking, when they start when they're standing in their crib because they don't want to lay down and go to sleep. Your attitude of firmness starts then. I, I'm I'm having conversations with men and women who are trying to break a kid at four. It's almost too late. Your attitude from within has to be, I love you, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, I know what's best for you. I'm not trying to break your spirit. And I love the fact that your will is strong, but it needs to submit to my will because I'm the parent. I know what's best. And that, that parents have to have this from the inside. Because and I, like I said on one of these shows, give me your child for two weeks. I bet you I'll get that kid, that child straight. But the problem is that if I give him back to you, you won't be able to maintain it because I cracked that child from the inside of me. <laughs> so it's like because of my whole attitude about about children and the one of the things that's crazy, Teresa, is I don't play when it comes to kids and kids love me. They love me. And kids I love boundaries. Yes, that's true. And people need to understand that there's a difference between being abusive and being firm and disciplining your child, you know? But that's the balance. That's the balance. It's like <clears throat> getting to know your child to know what is allowing them to crack that egg from within and how much of that is me cracking that egg from without because I haven't really truly understood myself because of my childhood trauma. Sure. So I think that like you having that conversation with your son and you saying to him, hey, I need to apologize to you because... The reason why I didn't, you know, because of my childhood trauma of having to work at starting at 13, you know, I was like, no, I'm going to make sure that my kids don't have to, they don't have to scrap like that. So I'm thinking that I'm giving you something that was really born out of my childhood trauma, but really, you know what? I, I, I see that little, see a little bit more of that balance. You know, I love what mom and dad gave to us, but growing up as a, as a young woman and you know, being smart and, and being the top of my class and seeing just nothing but a stay at home mom. It was wonderful. It was a great foundation. But then in my, in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I, 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 I there's other things I want to do. Like there's things in it that I feel bad that I, that I love school and I want to go to college and I want to, I want to make something of myself and I want to do something different. And I, I don't want to just be sitting at home with a whole bunch of kids. I mean, I've raised all your kids. Like that, that was difficult for me, you know, because it's then, then, then the whole patriarchy or, well, what are you good for? Can you really, are you going to be able to, you know, put your dreams on the side so that you can support a man? And it's like, that's hard because when you know you have something in you and you just want to be accepted for who you are, but you haven't seen the picture in front of you, it becomes, it becomes a difficult situation. And so, you know, even in my own parenting, I've had to, 
I've had to learn how to parent my children very differently than the way that I was parented. I had to learn how to accept them for who they are and don't put these pressures, this religious box and all the things that were placed on us and just try to allow them to figure out who they are. And that's, that's, that's a difficult thing. That's a hard thing to do. And no, and no generation. I mean, I think that we, as long as we keep talking about it and we keep honoring our struggle and what we've come from and what we've been able to do and not think that we have the end all to be all like my kids teach me stuff all the time that I'm just like, wow, I really need to consider that man. I'm stuck in my generational mindset. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. But I mean, I also think that, and it's, I mean, I love this conversation. I think it's really good because we're talking about it from both sides. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, one of the things I try to encourage parents to do is to have a sense of uh, expectation of their children that comes from within them so that they're not always reactionary to the child. So sometimes, like sometimes, I think a lot of people that were spanked abusively, quote unquote, it wasn't just how violently it was, but it was the anger that was attached to it. Right. And I think the anger was attached to it because you're, it's almost like you're, you're cracking the egg from without in a way. In a sense, they're making you discipline them. So now you have to be mad when you do it versus you having a calmness and you have come to grips with the fact that, oh, well, you're my child. I'm your parent. My job is to, is to show you what is right and what is wrong. And that's unacceptable. And now I'm going to hold you accountable to this behavior without having to get angry at you. You know, if, if I say, hey, go clean your room and you say something back to me, I'm going to be like, did you hear what I said? It's not... I, because it's disobedience that's the issue. What, the way you and I were raised was disobedience and lying. That was the problem. Right. It was, you know, and so I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that, yeah, from each generation, there are different things that we, because sure, you know, the way we raised our children is different than even how we were raised. But one thing that we did keep in that common thread is, well, I say it, you do it. And, you know, if I say it's time to brush your teeth, it's time to brush your teeth. It's not, we're not going to debate whether or not it's time to brush your teeth. You're four, you're five. Okay. I know your teeth need to be brushed. So go brush your teeth, please. Don't make me say it again. And I, I have a feeling within myself because one of the challenges for African-American boys and I was reading an article about Hispanic boys, how Hispanic girls are raised more so differently from Hispanic boys. Hispanic boys get to school and are almost out of control. It's almost within the Hispanic culture. So it's like, oh, let boys be boys. Oh, let men be men. Oh, the women, the girls are raised very strictly to, to listen and cook and clean and do right. And they do well in school because they've been raised and trained, whereas the boys have been almost raised in a culture where, oh, just let the boys do whatever. And when it happens to, it's interesting, now we got men of color who find themselves in a classroom setting and can't submit or can't obey or can't listen because they weren't taught by us to actually answer and find out that there is a standard. 
It, it's, it's the balance. It's sure. Let me figure out, like right now, when we talk about our kids, you and me, like our kids when it comes to college, like you and I are both college graduates. You have a master's degree. You know, I have an honorary doctorate from the school of hard knocks. And so do you, but it's like, do my kids have to go to college? You know, one of my sons is almost done. Kayla was killing it, but then wanted to do music. And I was like, well, focus on music. I think that these kind of discussions are so different. You know what I'm saying? I, I it doesn't mean that. Balance. It's, it's right. always comes back to that balance because like <clears throat> that we have to have mature parenting. And, and the only way that you become mature as a parent is through experience and through being able to be open to sit something on the table and say, okay, is this right or is this wrong? Or is it just the way it was? Because that's the way it was. Right. And I think that if we don't do that, then like, for instance, if we, if you, if you grew up in a household that was very strict and it had to be this way, because that's just the way I said it. And, you know, let's take, for instance, earrings, you know, no, you can't get your ears pierced. Right. Not at all. And so you're growing up and you're just like, you've seen everybody else and you're just like, but why can't I pierce my ears? Because that's what I said. And I said, so, and that's the way it is. So now I have this thing in my head that it has to be, see, there are some things. And so now you're, you have a toddler and they want to put boots on for the day. And you're like, no, you can't put boots on. It's not raining out and your feet are going to be sweating. And, and you're arguing. Whereas there are some things, and because you were ra see, based on your trauma, if you don't <sighs> put that stuff on the table and deal with it, then you'll take that stuff and you'll regurgitate it onto the next generation. And the next thing you know, it's just like, you're, you're arguing with a toddler about, yeah, there are some non-negotiables. Absolutely. You're going to brush your teeth every night. That you're going to do. But you don't have to use the blue toothbrush every night. <laughs> if right. you want a pink one, you want to do it in the. You want to do it in the tub. You want to, you know, go outside and use the hose. Sure, why not? Go for it. No, I agree, and I mean I agree with you a thousand percent because I think that, you know, you and I, and of course our parents were very young when they had us, and I saw our. We saw our parents evolve. Yes. So we did. who they were with Joey and Mikey and Debbie totally knew who they were with you and me because they were in they were 20, 21, 22 when they had us. Okay? They were babies. Yeah, they were 22 when they had you, they were 24 when they had me. That's Absolutely. right. That's our our children are young, older than that and they don't have any kids. Okay? Our, our parents had two kids by that age. So it's like but and I, I know I certainly got to a place with mom where I just felt like I, th there was nothing reasonable. Like I couldn't reason with her around something that I thought was very reasonable. Right. You know, I had been sweeping the floor. You know, I had been sweeping the floor since I was six. Now I'm 16. I'm in high school. I'm studying for the SATs. I'm playing football and basketball. I'm in plays. I'm in the glee club. I'm trying to get into Dartmouth and Columbia, and I still got to sweep this floor. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Now, here's, here's Matt. <laughs> here's Phil. I've been sweeping the floor for them for 10 years. They can sweep the floor for me for four. 
You know, and so I hear you. It's like this kind of like now it's like this irrational do exactly what I say and which is obedience. Roxbury Latin School, which is obedience at a whole nother level. But I'm saying what what's happening now, Teresa, is people are just throwing obedience all the way out. So it's kind of like, well, now just Jimmy, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Okay, well, why? <laughs> it's like, why? So you'll keep your teeth. It's like, so I don't knock you out. I think there's a ditch on either side of the road, and I think, you know. I, I mean, Andy, and that's true, or you can decide that, you know what? Your room is yours. I don't give a crap what your room looks like. As long <laughs> as all of the areas that are, that are shared, is the bathroom that you share with your sister, the living room, your socks aren't in the living room. I don't care. I don't give a crap what your room looks like. It could look like New York City for all I care. Doesn't matter. And hey, because is that worth that fight? Now, I do want to know that you can clean. And I do want to know that I've taught you what a clean looks like. You know, so every once in a while, you know, I'll go to my son and I'll be like, all right, I need you to clean mom clean because I, and I have this thing with both my kids. I'm always just like, you know, when I want to, cause when I want to come to your house, I want to know I want them to be like, yeah, your mom really taught you. <laughs> she taught you how to like, my son knows how to cook. My son knows how to iron. My son knows how to clean a bathroom, a toilet. Like that was important to me that my son could be like, no matter what girl comes around, he could be like, no, I could feed my family. You know, my, my right. kids are not going to starve and they're not going to just be eating eggs every day. Right. So there were certain negotiables in that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just all depends on what you, what you prioritize and what you think. And sometimes I think the things that we prioritize are. Yeah. They're very traditional and they are very, and they're very slave oriented. I it, like that old thing you talked about. That is so, it is, it really is. It's like, get out there, pick that cotton boy, you know? And it's like, that's right. And I, and I remember, you know, and I mean, I, I'm sure our, I'm, our mother's probably watching this, but I remember myself feeling like, Hey lady, I didn't tell you to have eight kids. Like, <laughs> you could have had four kids like somebody that had some sense. You got me mopping. I, the truth of the matter is that at 16, if you had had me, Teresa, Matt, and Phil, the house wouldn't be this dirty. <laughs> so now I'm folding clothes because you had eight kids I didn't have the pleasure of making these kids. Why? I got to have the responsibility of cleaning up after these Negroes. I mean, I remember having that in my head. and But I could, of course, I couldn't say that because I wanted to have all these nice teeth that I still have. So I, I think it's true. And I think that but you're from right. Your, but from your, from your young perspective, that's the way you saw it. But from her perspective, like... She looks at you now and she's like, you are who you are sure, because sure. I required sure. that even when you didn't want to do it. And even if you didn't feel like it, and even though you had done it for 10 years, there are certain things that, you know what, this is just what I do. 
Yes. I, I bring something to this household. I don't, you don't get to be in here and don't do something and don't play a part and play a part and don't just walk in and out of here. You don't pay no rent up in this thing. And don't you just think you just going to come in here. No, I know. I love my mama. No, I got you. I know how to walk. I walk, when I walk into a space, I can see everything that needs to be done. Right. And I could be able to look at everybody and say, you'd be good at doing this. You'd be good at doing that. You know what? You need to just go ahead and sit down because you're not going to do nothing but get in the way. Like I have that mentality. I understand. And I understand people. And I have a heart for people that I would have never had because I'm an Aries. Like I'm April 14th. So, you know, because you're my big brother. Like I was that. I didn't even know what to do with the anger that I felt inside of me, except for, right. except for I'm gonna give it to you. Like you became my punching bag <laughs> for all of the things I felt I was being put on me. I was like, well, you know, and you were just like the big brother that was always like, Teresa, come on. It's great. Come on. Like you always saw the rainbow and I was like this. You're right. And I think that it's like, no matter, like, you know, someone asked me, oh, are you still baking? And I'm like, yeah, I still bake. And it's nothing for me to throw my hands in some soapy water and wash my bowls and pots. It's like, I've definitely been around guys who were raised in a totally spoiled way. You know, my son, Manny Arango, who I love to death, you know, he was... He was raised like Simba. You know what I'm saying? Like raised in the sky. That, that was what you were talking about earlier about those Latino men. Man, these Latino women, they're just like, oh my God. They just are like, they're taking off them aprons and they're just like, you can have this job and shove it. This is right. for the birds. They yeah. are deucing it like nobody's business, Latino women. They're just like, I'm not putting up with this craziness. Are you out of your mind? Like, no. your mother made a mistake. <laughs> She want to come in here and cook and clean and make you rice every day? Have at it, mamacita. Yeah. And that's exactly what those dudes do. They just go, they end up going home. And it is yeah, like, like, my I mama will fish. make me my rice. Yeah, yeah, I no. made chicken today. No, no, I wanted fish. You're like, are you serious? <laughs> no, it's true. But of course, these are the extremes. We're okay. talking the extremes. Sure, we are. We we really are. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, Teresa, you know what? On that note, you're hanging up on me. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. It really has. You know, this has been a killer episode of Beyond the Pulpit. You know, and listen, I'm so glad you were here with us tonight. I hope you sold the whole found the whole thing. You can this YouTube thing this will be up. And you can watch it, share it, let somebody know on Instagram Live, let somebody know. This is my sister, Teresa Good. She is thebomb.com. She's about to start. She's about life coaching. She's about she's about start doing some. People have been saying, oh, this needs to be a class. Yo, guess what? My sister's about to start talking about this kind of stuff. She has a master's in education. She's raised her kids. They're awesome. She knows what she's doing. Follow her. Like and follow her. She's on Instagram right here. Get some great information from her. 
Support her. She's got it going on. She's about to start teaching some classes and doing some stuff on YouTube. And she yeah. is a brilliant somebody. Everybody's just on here talking about how lovely you are and beautiful you are and how much wisdom you have. Thank and you, you do. You are a killer. And I and if you want to get some information, follow her. And if you want the balance, follow her. She'll definitely give you some truth and some wisdom. And um, and so she's right on here. She won't. This is not her last time being on no, beyond the pulpit. Back. Anytime, anytime you ask, I will always say yes. You know, you're my day one. I'll do anything for you. Did I tell you that somebody came up to me? I was, you know, I was preaching on a Sunday and I'm standing on the bottom and uh, people are waiting in line to talk to me. And somebody came up and they said, can I ask you? And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm just like, yes, 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 Pastor Andy. And then they were like, um, when is your sister going to come back to preach? And I was like. <laughs> Really? Did you stand in this line to ask me that? This is my church, okay? It's I just preached. What about what I just said? <laughs> what about <laughs> bring yourself up here and say, what a word, what a word. No, no, no. I just wanted to know, um, you know, your sister, is she coming back? And it was a dude, too. It wasn't even a woman. It was a guy. And I was like, dude. But, Teresa, definitely, you're going to get that invitation. Keep checking your mail, Okay, we're going to have you back at World Overcomers. and yes, uh, But definitely like back here on Beyond the Pulpit. And um, definitely follow her and like her. She is my sister. I love her to death. Love this is a so really much. great show. Thanks for having so me. I really appreciate it. We it's had a fun. great time. We had a great time. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it again. All right. Episode 5, Season 1, Beyond the Pulpit, Instagram Live. Woo-hoo. Number three. See you next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to follow Andy Thompson on all social media platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com podcast for more information on how to donate and stay connected with Andy Thompson.